Welcome to Motor Cult episode 40. I'm Eric Berger, and I don't have a co-host this week because Ryan and Jana are out in Monterey, but I do have two guests. One you've heard before, it's Nick Johannes. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. And the second one is an extremely nervous and somewhat uh, skittish and or giddy Brian May. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show, Brian May. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Anyway, so Brian May, uh, we typically do a beer segment first. I see that you probably are just going to do Red Bull. Sure. Okay. I Nick, can review it if you like. What are you drinking? Yes, please do. Fizzy. Okay. Good. Do you do the sugar variety or the non-sugar variety? I used to do sugar. Now I'm non-sugar. Oh, damn. Sugar Any free. particular reason behind switching to the non-sugar variety? Uh, Not really. Okay. I think it tastes primary. better. Yeah, same here. Okay, cool. Really? Oh. And Nick, what what are uh, what are you drinking? This is a Summit EPA. Oh, an EPA. Yes, it, oh. it has sugar in it. Oh, okay. Yes, um, so does my this is a Liney Kugel's Summer Shandy. Um, I picked this because it was the closest to me when I opened the fridge. Oh. And uh, it's very, um, very well, lemony. Yes. Uh, anyway, so Brian May, now that the drinks topic is done, we do have a standard set of questions that we ask. And the first one, these are kind of out of order on the show notes, which you can see, but the other people can't. And is it, it's... Um, if you're given the choice between two basic types of cars, there's fast cars and slow cars, would you rather drive a fast car slowly or a slow car fastly? So I've heard the question on the podcast. Okay. If you could, I'd like you to clarify okay. the situation in which you would drive a fast car slow. Okay. So let me give you kind of a situational example then. You have a uh, 720S in downtown Minneapolis driving mm-hmm. from one end of downtown to the other. Or you have a NA Miata on Big Tahunga in California. Can we have it at the same circuit or the same course? No. Okay. Uh, then I think the obvious question or the obvious answer is slow car fast. Okay, that is but, the correct answer. Yep, that's fine. Um, <laughs> there's a major caveat. So Brian May, I'm not interested in your caveats. <laughs> Moving on. Next, <laughs> next is what do you drive? Uh, so I do have a four-door 335 that has been pretty much dormant for a couple of years. I was going to say, um, that's, that's the car you were driving when I first met you back right. in the day. Uh, which was, I think, the Emola Open House. We were at Park Tavern at an MNBMW.com meet. Yeah, I, I thought you and I met at the Open House at Emola, and then we went to Supermoon Buffet after that. No, like that was after. This, I okay. think I met you in like 2008. Okay. It probably would have been 2009. I got... Whatever, 2009. Uh, I think you had just got in the car. Okay. I think I was making fun of you because you had your license plate zip-tied into the grill of the front bumper or something like that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You were a Honda guy before that, right? uh, Well, technically my first, like, car car uh, was 99 Civic Si. Is that an EM1? Uh, It wasn't an ion thruster. An EM1. That's a type of ion thruster. It is also a body code for, I believe, the 99 to 2001 Honda Civic Coupe SI. I'm not quite sure. Not too into Honda. What color was it? Red. Milano red. Okay. Probably an EM1. Yeah. I think there's only Not a space thruster. Yeah. The blue is the correct color, though. Yeah. I do like that blue line. So anyway, you're 335. Um, Why is it dormant? uh, The 
simplest answer is I've just had other projects going on and okay. um, haven't really found the uh, push or the necessity to get it uh, put back together and up and running. I guess um, that's fair. I, I should probably start. I mean, I know you pretty well, but other people don't. So you said you have other projects going on. Uh, what do you, what, where do you work? What do you do for work? Yep. So I do uh, hardware software development for a variety of shops uh, across the country, I guess you could say. Automotive related. Yes. Okay. Um, so developing uh, turbo systems, uh, calibrations to go along with uh, uh, shops, hard parts. So uh, a lot of the mass airflow based cars have uh, the need to have a specific uh, tune, spe obviously uh, uh, suitable and optimized for that specific intake so you, system. So you're making um, hot side and cold side hard parts as well as doing tunes or? Yep. Okay. Um, the uh, tuning work is probably more, uh, accounts for more hours of my time. That's what the, I know you for, certainly. Yep. Um, but the uh, last couple years. Hashtag tuned. Yeah, that hashtag, uh, I haven't seen that in a while. Um, but yeah, the uh, hardware stuff has kind of picked up the last few few years. Um, and it ebbs and flows with my obsessions. Sure. Um, or Which are whatever I'm obsessed numerous with at a specific time. And usually uh, jackknifing at breakneck speed between different things. Yeah. Although there are certain things that I feel like you stay pretty consistent with. I mean, you've, I, mean I, I saw you get into like suspension super hard like a couple of years ago. Yep. You were at the alignment rack at a MOLA, and you were doing all these sphericals and adjusting you know, roll center and changing all the... You know, I, I'm a layperson a lay as far as shock tuning and suspension geometry and all that kind of stuff is concerned, but I mean, it's I know there's so much there. It's like engine oil. You could learn for years and years and still not really necessarily yeah, have a good handle on it. It's truly fascinating, just because the amount of um, dynamics at play are so... Uh, uh, unique based on different chassis designs, different uh, right. um, strategies. I mean, the, the strategies of how you control a, uh, a vehicle can be you know, significantly different and have the same um, lap time, so to speak. Uh, they'll feel dramatically different, but um, the ability for uh, cars to be set up significantly different from one another. Um, well, your car is pretty track-focused now. I mean, I haven't seen it on the street for quite some time. I think the last time I rode in it, I was still working on a recycle in 2015 or 14. And that Probably. was, I know you had, you had RB, the original RB turbos on it, yep. that N54, and I don't even know what was going on. I know you had your own TFT inlets on it, Trueform Technologies. Yeah. Yep. And that car was making, I think, like 627 to the wheel or something at that time. Yeah, Depending on the day, yeah, is it was really daily driven around out. like 650. Um, oh, I mean, I think the max is yeah low sevens or something like that. But okay. um, I mean that that was pushing the turbos pretty hard. Uh, I mean, significantly harder than the was reliable. Mm -hmm. Okay, but um, <laughs> the uh, and those turbos actually lasted up until like, I was gonna say, didn't they just fail on the the next car? Like, yeah, they uh, had... a little while ago. Exactly. Yeah, um, that was many years after they came off of your car. Yeah, I think there was something like. 400 dyno runs, a handful of track days. Um, I mean, yeah, the turbos had put, been put through the ringer. And then with the car that they went on, they lasted for a year and a half, two years. And that was pretty high horsepower car they came out of too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably 600 or so. Um, yeah, you're the you're the king of N54 as far as I'm concerned. But I, I'll be curious well, to see you. where you end up going with single turbo stuff on your car. But Yeah, I'm actually uh, the past month or so been kind of chipping away at... Uh, Putting back together over the winter, um, when I was back intermittently, I slowly chipped away at, um, you know, 
I should, I should say you're you're not just focusing. You're not one of the JB4 guys running Map Five doing big single turbo. You're you're gutting the car. You're reducing the wiring harness clutter. Oh, yeah. You're changing everything. I mean, this car is it's gonna be it's gonna share very little with the standard 335 i four door by the time you're right. Um, yeah, it's amazing how much how much weight you can pull out by just reducing the. Um, I mean, sound insulation. Yeah. Uh, you know, redundant wiring. Um, to BMW's credit, they put a decent amount of uh, serviceability into their wiring systems, their wire loom, so you can actually, you know, uh, I don't know if... When you say serviceability, is it like a, it's a modular setup for, like, certain systems where you can just take it out without affecting anything, or is it something else entirely? Um, no, I mean, like, if... I guess I don't really know if this is BMW's motivation, but uh, let's say if you had a mouse nest or something, or a mice yeah. chewed through some wiring, there's a decent amount of um, excess that you can... Uh, remove some of the uh, windings or not remove windings um, I was going to say are we talking about a stator no I'm talking about just <laughs> extra wire that's not that's okay. not pulled taut so the ability uh, to oh so there's a little slack yeah there's okay. a bunch of extra that's um, nice. wiring that wraps around uh, you know the entire chassis that that is nice um, that wasn't the case on the old ones I did a chassis harness on an E30 one time and it was terrible <laughs> Because um, there was a small electrical fire in the left lower footwell, and it smoked like an inch and a half solid like group of wires, and it just melted all the insulations together, and everything was starting to cross talk, and it was it was toast. That'd be pretty. Uh, it was terrible. Pretty. So, what's your scary. end goal for the three thirty five? I know you're kind of reserved in a lot of things, so I mean, don't let me spill the beans. For yeah, what no, your plans are, but not necessarily too reserved, and I don't necessarily see the. Um, uh, I put my 335 as more of a, like a personal hobby at this point, not necessarily seeking to, um, you know, market any of the hardware that I'm making for the car, uh, just because it's so significant that I think the number of people that would be interested in it would be right. I very, like very minor. A lot more market for the stock form factor parts, like your inlets and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, generally speaking, the goal will be uh, like a thousand, eleven hundred horsepower and. Um, Do you think you'll the, be able to get there on the stock bottom end? It's a tough question. I've, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that the rotating assembly can't handle it. Uh, sure. Most of the engine failures have been due to... Um, shitty tuning? Shitty tuning, uh, a variety of uh, fueling and hardware systems, or fueling and control systems that just weren't... I mean, we should mention, this is, this is a direct injection engine that a lot of people are adding supplemental port injection to to try to get the higher horsepower to... Yep, um, which inevitably I will have to do, unfortunately. Right. Um, I've yeah, actually played around with um, actually using uh, like Bosch drive I was going to say, you were talking about like using the, the, the turbo diesel like Cummins Bosch pumps, right? That was, a couple yeah, of those to increase, increase fuel pressure? Yeah, there's actually um, quite a more elegant solution that I'm uh, going to be working on with uh, regards to uh, higher capacity, high pressure fuel pump. Um, okay. Usually the limit is... Uh, there aren't a huge amount of rotary style high pressure fuel pumps. They're all driven off the cam. Okay. Um, so rotary is belt drive or what? I mean, usually, yeah, somehow gear driven off the. Because uh, I know the N54 has got that weird hump on the side of the block, and it's got the HPFE mounted on the back side. But is, yeah. is that gear driven? Is it chain driven? I haven't yeah, actually pulled I mean, one off. Technically, it's um, uh, driven by the chain, driven by the crank, which is first uh, spinning the vacuum pump, and then the high pressure fuel bumps behind that oh okay um oh interesting so the uh and the rotary pump styles are somewhat rare 
uh, at least with gasoline um, spark ignited cars. Uh, well, obviously gasoline spark ignited. Um, I like to do compression ignition gasoline. It's very predictable. <laughs> Detonations, my friend. Not. I um, do like JB4 so much. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you and I go back. Because you had a 335 in yeah, an, like, o- an auto way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, 07. It, like, yeah, 07, 08 or something. Yeah. yeah. So you're privy to the state of, you know, a, yeah, piggyback systems back then, which, I mean, admittedly, there I remember were, the Vishnu Proceed was the jam. Well, yeah. It, it, it's important <laughs> to put it in, like, in, in some historical context. It's, yeah, at, at those times, um, I mean, yeah, the JB3, JB4s were, I mean, they're very, very primitive and, like, traditional, like, piggyback systems. Um, you know, Trickery box. Proceed is more of, like, a stand-back system, but... Um, the I just remember being blown away by the Proceed being able to repurpose your gauges. Yeah, I mean, and I'd put that as, like, a neat yeah, feature. No, I, not, I know yeah. it wasn't necessarily commenting on how good their tune was yeah. or what it was doing to the engine management system to get its results, but I was blown away by that one feature. Yeah. Like, wow, my fuel gauge turned into a boost gauge. Yeah, and a lot of people are yeah, quite impressed by that. Um, but uh, I like yeah, at, things. at this point in time, yeah, the uh, and the primary reason for the popularity of those systems was, you know, getting the um, OED2 protocols to read and write to the ECU was yeah. very, very limited. Sure. And not only that, the uh, once you're actually able to read and write the ECU, having uh, all of the... Well, you got to get the definitions for the tables and all that. And... Yeah. Um, well, I mean, depending on how much money you wanted to spend, like, you could So get much that. money. All um, of it, really. I don't even like keeping money. Just throwing it. Burn it. Let it on fire. Use it as toilet paper. Yeah, don't we all? Okay. So um, your, your goal for your car... Yeah. Okay, we've established it's at least at least partially power. Are you going to use it just as a track car? Are you going to use it as just, like, figuring out what all the limits of the hard points of the car are? I mean... Yeah, I think the primary intent for the car will be, like, half mile... Um, roll racing type events okay. and uh, it'll still be set up for um, uh, I'll still do a handful of HPDEs and fun stuff like that but uh, obviously I'll have a significantly smaller turbo for um, right because I mean you're planning to run I'm guessing something in the 80 millimeter range maybe even bigger uh, for the yeah so the technically or right now I would have got it's a gen 2 7675 uh, okay. precision which um, you know it's a rated like 1300 horsepower turbo which sure. it's properly big um but uh essentially it probably won't come on or won't spool till 500 or sorry 5000 rpm um Jeez. which isn't necessarily that bad but right. uh, for the most part the transient response and having it behave in a uh, enjoyable manner for a road course would be pretty limited oh god no yeah um, so yeah i'll just downsize to a 5858 for road course fun for sure yeah, 5850 is just full super quick on that. Yeah, thing. I mean, that's a perfect turbo for those cars. I mean, I've got a uh, 5153 on Brexit, which is a 3.2. And, like, that thing, it's not like 335 with stock turbos, no lag, but I cannot believe how fast that thing comes on. It's it's really yeah. enjoyable, even on a lower boost level. So, and you just got that running, like, last week? Uh, I put it in a turbo in a few weeks ago. I took it home from here last night, Sweet. which I think is uh, terrifying. And Corey was behind me. I blinked and you were half a mile ahead of me. Well, I, I gave it plenty of time to warm up, but when I allegedly got in Mexico from 494 East Mexico to 35E North Mexico, I shit-canned it through 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and um, 
Yeah, that car is, is, is way more power than it really should. And it's only running seven pounds of boost right now because I haven't shortened the uh, wastegate rod back down to 12. Just clamp it shut. Um, no, that engine won't take it. It's stock rods, stock everything like that. It's got a really good head gasket. It's got a really nice head on it. It's got ARP 2000s. But the, the rods, especially, I mean, the, it's got a Miller War chip on it for tuning, math-based, and, like, it's a base tune. And it's running, like, 13.2 AFR under boost, which is, seems a little lean for the kind of gas I'm running in it, so I really don't want to put that much more boost through it. Yeah. How do the transmissions hold up on? Like, oh, it's got a ZF in it. Those things will take okay. more than 1,000, no problem. Wow, that's like, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the five-speed ZF boxes are just like, they're free, and they take just tons of power. And I put the worst one I've ever gotten out of a parts car in my car, too, because I'm like, oh, this is a project for me. So it's got like the spring detent issue, so it centers not between second and third, but it centers over by fifth. Or oh, sorry, wow. third and fourth, it goes over by fifth. So like when you shift from second to third, most of the time it goes to fifth, which is kind of, I mean, it's better than the alternative. We're yes. like, like I'd like to go to fifth and it goes back to third. That'd be bad. But yeah. it's got that issue. And it's, I mean, it, it came out of an E46 328 that was just abused and had like 280K on it. And Perfect. it's, yeah, I mean, it still shifts super nice, but it's a combination of just a bunch of really sketch stuff. It's got stock 1990 E30 suspension and brakes on it. I mean, it, it needs it needs some some change. If I keep it, I'd maybe consider selling it. Bring a trailer said they'd run it. So, and this is your my green which, wagon. Which, how many cars have you had named Brexit? Because I've just one. I've had a couple named Mister Wags. Okay. But anyway, yeah, Brexit. I, I don't know how we couple. got on that topic, but that car. I mean, it's it's my. I guess I have the one M now, but it's really my only force induction car in that sense, where I have to worry about certain aspects of. The turbo and the tune and all yeah. that but and was that the one we dynoed no we haven't dynoed this thing yet okay which was the all-wheel drive turbo car oh that was the old hunicorn oh have you had multiple cars called the hunicorn yeah four, okay. four so far it'll be five again this year if i run a bmw which i probably will i have another ix i might turbo it like a e30 ix okay. i have a i have a much nicer one that i was like i'd just like to sell but I, I still have it, and it kind of fits the criteria of what I've done. Or not criteria, but it fits the pattern of what I've done on the last four years of the Polar Run a lot better. And I think I turboed that that car for like $1,400 all yeah. in with everything, so I could do that again. Um, I sold all that turbo stuff to a forum guy. He like wanted it, and he like put it on his street car. I'm like, you are <laughs> fucking insane. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, that thing, it was fun. Like he full-on hood exit and everything. No, did it... I, I did. I made a downpipe because I was starting to get like uh, CO two issues yeah. in the car. So I, I sold them. Remember the? Uh, it had a glass pack under the passenger seat with a downturn. Okay. And that's we had to like jam the lambda probe up in there and all that kind of stuff. So it it had an exit under the car, but it was great because like the tune just like the more boost we kept putting in it, the richer and richer the computer was pulling it. Just to, it didn't know what was going on. And on the street, it was fun because if you did like a third gear pull and you let off at like 6,200 on the highway, you were just clamping the throttle shut and it was still dumping so much fuel and the exhaust was hot enough, it would just light these massive fireballs under the car. That's what you want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right by the gas tank. So it was probably really safe and everything. But anyway, it, it takes a lot great. to get that dude nice. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it does. But anyway, that's I, I guess I should be in the interest of keeping this going. We'll, we'll we'll come off of your 335. Do you want to talk briefly on your E61, or shall I go to a different question? Yeah, that's just utilitarian uh, yeah, we have wagon. To, yeah, we have to get good questions to ask this guy. He, has, he has yeah. a 535 uh, wagon with a with three pedals. That's pretty cool. 
Um, all right. I, I want to go to the Mondial Challenge. Oh, yeah. You've listened to the episode, so you yep. know this primer already. Do you need any clarification on it? No. Okay. Um, well, then I want to hear your answer. I'm kind of privy to the electric idea. Okay. Partial? Or not privy. Uh, yep, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. You're welcome. Um, well, I didn't say thanks. I said sorry. And I said you're welcome. <laughs> Please move on. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should clarify Eric and I are friends. <laughs> Yeah. Um, For now. <laughs> we'll see how much space shit you two talk about on this episode, and we'll go from there. <laughs> but I guess both of this episode is your fault. Yeah, well, you know, you seem like people that would have a similar sort of, like, really different take on car modifications and, like, maybe not, but you guys seem mm. eerily similar. Now I found out we're both place. no half-measures people, and the, yeah, okay, yeah, we're the same person. I'm uh, yeah. elated that you got... Uh, yeah, and it's so rare that I find somebody that actually can and enjoys talking about space. This so. is dangerous. Yeah, I have both of these people like facing me right now across the table, and I'm just like, oh Jesus Christ! What <laughs> anyway, so what sort of what oh. what sort of motor? What sort of pack? What sort of inverter? How would you set it up? Uh, I'm not. Or are you gonna cop out and just be like, hey, I'm just gonna part out a P85S and put a different inverter in it and call it good, bro? Well, I mean if. You talk practicality and how much work do you want to put into it. Um, it That's seems not the question. somewhat logical to simply do, uh, you know, direct swap from a existing vehicle with control systems and you know thermal management. So, I don't know how you'd necessarily get a Tesla like battery pack in. It's not that um, hard. They're they're 18650 cells. You'd have to pull them apart and rearrange them, but you could do it. Yep. But would you lose the thermal management of them then? No. No, there, there's like a, a coolant in, coolant out. You'll have to rewire a lot of BMS stuff. Right, but that's you... gonna be the hardest part. But like, no, those 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 eighteen six fifties, they're in like a twenty inch by eighty inch by not eighty inch, but twenty inch by like sixty inch by two inch loaf, and they've just yeah. got like a port on one side and a port on the other, and you just like t cooling lines into them. Right, but fitting that into a Mondial wouldn't that require you have to completely remake the the you have to make the housing lines. system. But the the packs themselves, you would leave unmodified. But well, where would you them put them? Under the hood, in the back under seat? the seat, in the engine bay. I mean, it just seems like a significantly large, uh, enclo- like battery enclosure that you'd have to fix. Well, it's to the it's car. not necessarily an enclosure though. I'll pull up a, a Model S. So uh, I'll pull up a battery pack here on the screen, so you can yeah. see what they look like. I mean, they're. They're they're really modular. So I mean, like the the difference between like a seventy five and an eighty five has just got like more of these things in it. Oh shoot, that's not okay. Good. So each pack here, here it is. So here's a pack with the lid off. So like a, a seventy five has just got like thirteen of these things, and like an eighty five or a ninety's got like fifteen, sixteen of them. Yeah. So these each one of these these wafers in here basically is a pack. It's a cell. So each one of those has a cooling line in, cooling line out, and then it's got a bunch of BMS communication stuff, and then a high volt in out. Okay. Or, you know, plus minus, not necessarily in out, but... but oh, have... shut up, internet. Sorry, it's me. You'd have oh, to use an entire enclosure, or um, at least some form of sealed casing for each one of those modules, or each one of those. Though, well, you, you just, you just, you, you move them. I mean, yeah. you just, you pull them out of the pack here, like, take that out, put it under the hood, stack another one from here on top of that, and then put another one from that on top of that. Put these in the engine bay all stacked up, put this one under the seat. And, and they'd just... all have to be, like, weatherproofed. Yeah. Well... Why? So so someone someone did this in RS5 
and they kind of stack them up in the in the trunk, which is probably not the best way to do it, but it kind of shows you it, it's not too critical how you do it. And this guy doesn't actually have any cooling on it now, and he's been driving around for a while. He just oh yeah, it's it's actually yeah. it, it'll be fine. You're just yeah. not going to get the longevity out well, of the battery. Yeah, each cell has its own thermal reporting and management. Okay. So if you, if you don't hook the cooling up, you can still monitor the cells and make sure they're not getting too hot. I'm gonna see if I can pull this up. I, I can't open iMessage on this thing. Yeah, I know it's a pain. Yeah, but no, uh, yeah. In any case, I'm partial to the idea in general of electric over um, some type of swap. I mean, well, I mean, I, the, I get that. I do feel like electric's kind of the cop out answer for this, but at the same time, it's not wrong. I yeah, I, it's it's becoming it's day by day. It's less of a less of a you know bad answer no it's, i'm not saying it's a bad answer yeah. i just say i wish people would be a little more creative with their answer brian may it's a it's a, it's i it's, may revise yeah. it at some point so it's may can. it's more of a good answer as each day passes like i guess oh yeah look at that they're stacked well, in the trunk so there you go there there are the the tesla packs and he actually has cooling lines on them yeah you see he has plans to hook it up he just hasn't done it yet yeah. okay and i guess if it's in the interior then i was more thinking if you're to try to you know put them underneath um I think Underneath they're sealed. The front tub where the even these things. In. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, those yeah. Are, those are Tesla battery packs. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure they have weather seal on them, so I think you don't have to worry about it. Interesting. But okay. I mean, it would be difficult if you had some inside the cabin and some outside of the cabin for managing their thermal properties differently. Because I mean, you're gonna you're gonna end up super cooling some of the batteries if you're trying to you know if they're in a conditioned space versus under the hood where there's a lot of airflow. So, I mean, that's something you'd have to think about, certainly. But, I mean, BMS is so complex now. People can probably handle it. Yep. And I don't I don't think Tesla uses resistive heating to heat the packs, but they might. Actually, I bet they do. Mm-hmm. Come to think of it, when I was borrowing Mark's P90D and I hit the max battery power thing for the Ludicrous launch, like, all the fans in the front kicked on and stuff. And I'm like, I think that thing is just, like, heating up all the cells and it's cooling. Yeah packs differently to try to get them all even or something like that and that one's the ludicrous so it's got the in canal battery contacts for an extra 10 grand wow to make the batteries flow better and stuff like that that's the only thing the ludicrous mode does as far as i understand i don't think it's a higher output motor i think it's just wow in canal battery contacts anyway okay but i and i'd clarify i'd more so say that i'm not compelled by any of the standard uh gasoline or diesel engines that have been proposed so far uh we get a brian mayer cool it's fine i'm not even that necessarily that big of a fan of electric cars but um if oh, you're gonna do something like, like you, that sounds like you really love them a lot i like them sounds like you love them a lot i actually want to go back and look at that audi swap thing later i want to see what uh, uh inverter and controller he uses yeah i don't yeah. think you can use the tesla and those things are pretty locked down i mean maybe if you could like skeleton the chassis harness of the tesla enough you might be able to trick it, but well, that's I feel what like I was thinking, you would yeah. need a bunch of stuff like the stability control. I think you would need to retain that. So like wheel speed sensors matching the type and variety and steering column probably. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I'm going to go on to the final question, which is, I don't know how much of this stuff you actually go to anymore, but do you have any favorite events or local car shows in Minnesota? Uh, that's tough. Yeah, I used to, you know, avidly go to Cars and Coffee. Um, I mean, it's a horrible excuse, but yeah, just kind of been a bit too busy to make it a regular uh, attendance. Sure. Um, I'm a big fan of like shop open houses. I like going to those a lot. Do you uh, got like the Grim Speed one and the Castech one? And <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I just ha- simply haven't, unfortunately. Um, but when I think of events that I enjoy, I 
put those as okay. the types. Of so that's just the type of that. Yeah. Um, that's fair. And yeah, really unfortunately, kind of. There's really nothing wrong with that. that. Uh, oh, I just realized I did this thing. I mean, already. I enjoy all car shows. Most of the time, it just <laughs> makes me feel uh, bummed that, like, especially the car shows where um, there's much of like actual show cars there that are you know pristine condition. Like, okay, like, yeah. Like SEMA is one of the more um, uh, one of the more uh, frustrating shows because you build up your talents and skills and you think that you're good at uh, what you do and you go there and just realize that there's uh, a lot of other people that are doing things, you know, equal or better than um, what you're doing, both in the ingenuity side and execution so side. So then do it better. One you up know, them, Brian May. Uh, working on it. Okay. But it's a great place for inspiration. I'd put it that way. Okay. Uh, maybe frustrating is the wrong. I haven't actually been it. to SEMA, but I like all the posts about like, oh, this truck didn't have drive shafts in it. <laughs> like they pushed <laughs> it here. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I see. Okay. That isn't a real thing. Like that has no engine. Okay. That, that, that. And then a lot of the stuff that gets sold years and years after SEMA, that show cars that like nothing's hooked up and like everything's really butchered together. So yeah. I know there's a there's... lot of very talented, very well executed builds at SEMA as well. But I, I do feel like, uh, I don't know. I'd like to go and just take a look. Me too. Or even PRI is like... Uh, PRI would be... That's a lot closer. That's yeah. Indianapolis, right? Yeah. And you can actually... Like, there's a lot more technically minded people that are interested in chatting there. It seems, it seems like it's become more of a uh, enthusiast rave or a party as opposed to... Uh, boots and cats and boots yes. and cats and boots if, and if, cats. If you want to try on helmets, like if you want to... Like, like, like helmets are really expensive. I want to buy a good one. Go, like weasel your way into pri because they're all there like oh, you can try okay. on every single one you want to like every brand i just i bought a, a mars something earlier carbon fiber thing this year it's really light i like it it's amazing how uh like when you compare how light helmets have gotten to i mean even just like a standard good helmet 10 years ago yeah um, yeah oh god any any racing equipment like suits? Well, I, I came yeah. from a ten year old helmet. And yeah. I bought it before I went to uh, France to visit my brother at the time to do the Nurburgring because you were required to have a helmet for the Tourist and Farten. And yeah, I mean it was a, like an OMP whatever standard medium race helmet, fiberglass. I think it's like three times the weight yeah. of this yeah. new one. I'm like, oh my god. But I don't know. I'm glad that the it's like it's Nell 15 or whatever, but it's also DOT, so I can use it on the Vespa. Sweet. So yeah, here I am rolling around in this like thousand dollar Vespa with thirty three thousand miles on it. But I got a carbon fiber helmet. That's so right. I, I put my priorities in the right place. Pretty sure. So most of the only difference between the DOT helmets and the uh, well, the motorcycle helmets and the SA helmets are the uh, it's the uh, the uh, foam on the inside if it's flame retardant or not. Because if you're on a motorcycle and your head's on fire, you got bigger problems than crashing. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, Essentially, I, I didn't know that. That's why cool. aren't all helmets made with flame retardant foam? They may be. It's just a certification thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so likely, likely the motorcycle helmets are made with the same foam as the SA helmets, but they're not certified as such. But so. the ones that are both, like mine, are the flame retardant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about, do they do the thing, like the, the commercial with the guy with the motorcycle? Does it fill up with, can it hold beer so you can drink while you're driving, or...? Because I saw that commercial. Problem. I've been yeah. trying to find yeah. one that like seals on the bottom so I can fill it with beer like that. 
Yeah. But I'm it's I'm coming up blank. My current one doesn't. It just drains out the bottom. <laughs> tried many times. Yeah, I keep trying, but like I tried we like bring up cans on the side. To, yeah, know, but like the, that's potted pressure. A little too conspicuous. Yeah. So like I'm I don't know. I'm thinking about using like a washer pump and like a chilled reservoir <laughs> under the seat and then just running it up like a cool suit. <laughs> Into, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I would never do that, obviously. Uh, I want to talk about some news, and this actually just happened today because look how topical we are. Um, a crashed Porsche 959. Yeah, that's right. A crashed one sold for $420,000. Uh, I'm going to bring up this link here so we can take a peek at it. But this car was damaged in a freak uh, trailering accident, I think it was. And yeah, it sold at a Mecham auction for four hundred and twenty-five thousand bucks. And I don't actually know what these things are selling for undamaged. I'm guessing it's got to be eight hundred to a million or something like that. I mean, yeah, they're uh, extreme. Once well, in perfect condition, one sold for one point four in twenty sixteen. Good lord. So I, I don't know. I, I love the nine five nine, but <laughs> it's. That seems like a lot of money for... I mean, you're going to have to get all these parts custom made, I'm guessing. I don't think they make 959 bumpers and hoods and fenders anymore. I mean, the damage really doesn't look that significant, but... I mean, you couldn't even import them for... Right. I, mean, I don't know if We can thank Bill, Bill Gates for that. You, you could, because he, he petitioned to have them added to the uh, shower display provision. In fact, shower display came from yes. the Porsche 959. Yeah. And, and, yeah, there are a few in the country, and I think they are here legally, but it's... There's a video going right now of them driving this 959 around a parking lot on three wheels and a wheel dolly. And the front's just smushed. And I'm imagining this thing's got to have a pretty chunky oil cooler in the front. So, like, that must not have burst. Yeah. Otherwise, this thing would just be draining oil out of it like crazy. But I, I really hope that whoever buys this thing follows up with, like, the repair process and all that kind of stuff. Because it's just fascinating to me that... I mean, I know anything can be done for the right amount of money, but, like, you would have to know some really specific people yep. to be able to make one-off parts like that. And this was actually a really bad link because it just had that one video. Or even just hope that you find <clears throat> one that's been rear-ended and you can just steal parts from it. Right, um, but I feel like a lot of these, I mean, it's like a McLaren F1. Like, you really, 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 really have to total one out for it to not be repairable. Yeah. And, like, the fact that this one wasn't repaired by the owner that owned it and was sold like this is just kind of confusing to me, and I don't really know why they did that. It said it was in a trailer when it happened. Yeah. So That's a lot of damage. There's for... some insurance things going on here. Okay. But, like, I guess the owner, yeah, he must have just been paid out so much. That yeah, just like, he didn't well, care. The buyback on it was probably, like, what are you saying, like 250 grand or something yeah, like that. That's so... a deal. You just take it and sell it and I'll take the buyback money. And This might have been an insurance buyback from somebody who wants to flip it and sell it. This, okay, so that's basically my brother's Honda Element in a few days then. Yes. Oh, poor Honda Element. Oh, I didn't tell all the listeners. He got rear-ended by a semi in that thing and it is now totaled. Very sad. Pretty serious. I, yeah, cause I was wondering because it looked like the damage was quite high on the... Yeah, like, yeah. Almost... He, got, he got rear-ended by a semi. Yeah, so at least he's alive. That's good. Yep. But the poor toaster. Ugh. I assume. I, I hope that the buyback's four hundred bucks. Then I can cut the body off it, turbo it. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. that's the clunker cruise car right there. No, because you have to donate those at the end. Oh, I cut the body. I would. Who cares? I don't want to donate it. Oh, you want to keep it? <laughs> it's cool. It's dude. You know how much maintenance work I did to that thing? Hell no. 
<laughs> it's a K24 <laughs> manual. The thing is super cool. This is a sunk cost fallacy. Fine. <laughs> uh, it's the space too shuttle. nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, God. Here it that's comes. A, perfect example uh well in the interest of not talking about the space shuttle at least yet i want to move on to a patreon topic which i haven't done for a couple of weeks and that's mainly because i've forgotten and i'm a terrible person and i now that i've uh come to understand how you two um react in the same setting i think this might have been a poor choice for topic just because i don't know if either of you have any relevant discord for this but anyway i want to talk about beginner drivers and vehicle choice for a beginner driver because oh. maybe i'm totally wrong maybe you guys are like really on the up and up on what's a really good choice for this but i want to talk about just a few topics about like what makes or what makes a, a, a car a good choice for a beginner driver or what characteristics might that type of vehicle share or, like what do you look for do you look for power to weight do you look for weight do you look for safety tech are you looking for ride height are you looking for the demiro features like the around view cameras are you looking for uh, stability control? Are you looking for NVH? I mean, really, like if you hypothetically, neither of you two have children. That I know. At least in theory, yes. Yeah. But if you did, and we're not talking fur babies, unfortunately, <laughs> fur we're talking kids. real flesh. Do you like dogs children's. too? I like dogs. Yeah. Okay. What? What what would you look for? I mean, would you have a specific category of feature that you're looking for? Would you look for a, a body style? Would you look for a type of transmission? Would you look for a reliable engine? Would you look for fuel efficiency? What would you look for? I mean, I kind of have an idea of what I would pick. I'd put my kids in a Crown Victoria. Like a, a P71, like police interceptor? Yeah, because they'll win. Okay. In all situations, basically. That's... Except like being fast and like efficient and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, they're, even they're safety is not that great. But... Yeah, but it's bigger. Yeah, there's a lot of metal. Yeah, okay, so you're like the Swedish Volvo type of yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that, yeah, because I crashed everything okay. between like 16 and 19. I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. Putting something, putting them in something that's basically disposable is probably smart. Yes. Putting them in some exotic or really fancy car, even like a least. Mercedes if you like it at all, don't give it to a teenager. Fair. Um, I'd say as far as features, yeah. uh, like round view cameras would be no. Okay. Like you don't want I'd, them to become using it as a crutch, yeah. right? Right. I'd subscribe to the idea that they should be uh, learning with as least amount of technology and AIDS and I agree. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. If um, they have AIDS at that age, boy, something <laughs> wrong with their genetics. 2018, man. Um, uh, Did I mention to everyone that I'm a terrible person? Because that is a fact. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, and then the whole disposable, not you know, caring if uh, there's scratches and dings. Um, so presumably something used and at least 10 years old. Yeah, I mean, I was erring on the side of uh, you know, 10-year-old Camry or Corolla or something that okay. can be truly but no emotional bond to it. Um, they're also not at all interesting to drive though unless they're five speed i guess they kind of are but i guess it depends on the kid like if i know i wouldn't be as into cars at all if i didn't have a emotional bond to like my first cars right um, but like would you actively try to like make them not into cars that's a good question um i mean i was definitely much more cautious and much more safe because i actually did care about the cars when right I was well young, i mean but, you could either pick um, cars or drugs or so both. what are you gonna do brian um, may and red bull doesn't count um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Simply, I'm do... not necessarily trying to lead you into like one specific car. I mean, Nick just came right at us like piece of right. one crumbing. That's mm -hmm. what you got to do. Yep. 
um, next cop car. Still the burnouts cop brakes, if you wanted cop to. Cop motor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cop tram. Still have plenty of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's three-wheel drive. They're, they have pretty decent car handling characteristics. I get it. That's you fine. You can manual That's not swap a bad it if you really want to. Well, yeah. yeah. I would definitely do that for my children. They're definitely driving on a manual, but... I'm also not a normal person, and I totally get that. So neither, that's, neither are we. <laughs> I, I understand that, and that's why this is completely irrelevant as a topic for talking to people about. But I'm also still curious what you guys have to say about it. So no, I, I've never thought about it. I, I do think like the actual individual would factor into that quite a bit. Like, if yeah, actually, that's fair. Um, I feel like I'm saying the word like a lot. Oh, oh I guess I'll have to listen through and see. I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> that's bad. We, can, ble- we can bleep that okay. out. <laughs> Beep. Uh, so the... Beep. The, oh, I can use the bell. Sorry. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Pre-war bell is now the bleep bell. Um, the tendency for them to be more cautious and like... There it goes. Uh, careful when they're driving could easily be improved by having them drive a car that they care about as opposed to a beater that they know already has a bunch of body damage or cosmetic damage and right um but i'm mean, gonna crash as a crash so i mean i guess there's a difference between like accidentally brushing up against poles in a parking lot and you're totaling and your car yeah. right right yeah or leaving it dirty inside and things like that hmm. so it's an interesting question so i mean you're more of just an appliance not necessarily anything to script but something that's disposable yeah i that but, would I mean, seem very logical. But the uh, Vic is also disposable and also has rear-wheel drive going for it. It has, you know, available transmissions from Mustangs that bolt on. You could put a manual in it for them if you really wanted to. But none of that stuff really... It, for you, it's just like, don't give them any lane departure. Don't give them a round-view camera. Yeah, don't not. give them any assist. But, like, for me anyway, when I ask myself this question, I mean... I kind of start with the assistance stuff. I'm like, absolutely not for blind spot monitoring, no rear view camera, none of that stuff. I, airbags, yeah, sure, fine. If they crash yeah. it, I don't want them dead. But yeah. I mean, I, to that point, people are like, oh, it's got to be a 2015 or newer. I'm like, no, the crash standards from 97 are still so good. I mean, anything yeah. made after that with like curtain bags, like an E46. Like, yep. You know how hard you have to fuck up to die in an E46? Yep. Super hard. So. For me, I mean, that's kind of what it is. I mean, it, it, I really do have to do manual, and the main reason for that is it is really, really hard to multitask and drive a manual. And I'm not saying that, like, I need them to not text and drive or, like, eat and drive, but, like, you have to get really good at driving first before you can start adding other activities into driving a stick. Yeah. So that one would be really important for me. And at least this point in time, I'm not planning to have kids anytime real soon, but like, yeah, something that's disposable cost-wise, something that's easy enough to maintain, that would be big for me. Because, I mean, it's not going to be a brand new car. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, the youngest driver gets the newest car. No exceptions. No. Wow. Yeah, people do that because they're the safer cars. But like, my choice would honestly be a E46 323i manual for a kid because it's underpowered. It has all of the safety tech. It's really, really cheap to keep going. And I mean, by the time I have kids, I think it's going to be a beater. Nobody's going to look choice. at it like a BMW. So I'm not doing any 36 because that'll fall apart. Yep. E30, no way in hell you're just going to die. But when did give them a sense of what? And it, it's still nice enough where they could have yeah. some pride in it if they really wanted to. Yeah. But yeah. 
I don't if know. That, if that enjoy driving gene is there, then yeah, the forty six will in any yeah. form will will find it. Yeah. Otherwise, I would pick like an E ninety three twenty five I, but those are fast and yeah. they're they're not that easy to maintain. So the E forty six wins. It's just got it's got all the good aspects of that newer, a little bit fancier car that everyone associates with wealth. But it, it takes it down to the little more grassroots level. But, I mean, I, I, it's not going to be a stock 323. It's going to have, like, HPS pads, and it's going to have good rotors and good tires, and it's going to have winter tires. But, I mean, I think be a great car more than learn. the car, I mean, like, the, the teen schools at DCTC, like, I seriously feel like that stuff should be mandatory for younger drivers. But yeah. it's, like, it never will be. Yeah, I don't know about mandatory, but I think we should incentivize it. Like make your insurance a lot cheaper. Yeah, like yeah, if you yeah you, nice. you don't you don't have to do this, but if you do, <laughs> we can we it's a right. lot cheaper to drive. But I mean, yeah, the people yeah. that end up doing that, I mean, I, I'm on the board, so I end up going to a lot of these things just for setup and like takedown. And like you hear the parents and the kids talking about the events after they're done, and they're like they've voluntarily just like come back for more of them, not because yep. they're necessarily trying to learn more. They do inevitably, but they're like this was so much fun. And just, like, deliberately losing control of your vehicle, I mean, that teaches you so much. And in yep. Minnesota, we can kind of do that just being ghetto people, just sliding around in the winter, whatever, you find some curbs, whatever. Like Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that. But, yeah, a driver's education, I guess, isn't really a component in this Patreon question, but I think that's a big one for me. I don't know about you guys, but, I mean, I guess, Nick, yeah, you just said, like, I agree with you. I think a discount on insurance or something of that nature at least to compensate you for the initial investment of the the driving school well just driver's training does not train you for anything outside of when everything is working perfectly right right which is why everything is mandated stability control and tpms yeah yeah we decided to fix it that way as a society which is bad yeah what about you bma it's yeah something i've never necessarily thought about uh well we're really putting you on the spot today then that's what I was worried about. <laughs> For the record, Brian May was very worried about being uh, forever immortalized in the internet. <laughs> uh, so far, I think it's fine. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, the whole teen driving, or even not necessarily even limited to teens, but uh, I mean, I can't think of anybody who's gone through a, you know, understanding your vehicle class, whether it's DT- DCTC or... Uh, I think BIR does something similar. Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely do their own sponsored events, and there are definitely different levels of... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I haven't heard of anybody coming out of that without uh, not only more, you know, practical skills, but a appreciation and almost enthusiasm for, you know, driving in general. Right. Uh, and getting out of control in the winter. I mean, there's pl- obviously plenty of uh, people who don't, see anything except a dangerous or frightening experience when they lose control in the winter. But right. uh, I'd say most people, when they would learn how to control a out-of-control situation, yeah. um, it's far more enjoyable in every... I agree. It turns you from one of those people that calls in from work and stays home into a person that actually kind of enjoys the drive yeah. in the terrible inclement conditions yeah. to the office. Because, I mean, the last time I had a snowstorm... I think it was last fall. It was like one of the, I guess one of the first freak snowstorms we had. The amount of people that I observed coming into my office, A, all late, and B, just like, they like, their hands just looked like white knuckle in it. I'm like, what's the problem? It was just like terrible equipment and lack of training. 
and I, I kind of get where they're coming from because like I drove Mr. Wags in that snowstorm with pilot sports that are pretty much bald because I hadn't swapped over to winters yet and that was like driving was terrible like that was the it was horrible like I did, wouldn't want to go out on that yeah but I, I realized like that same trip with a pair of winter tires like I could be drinking coffee going no problem so I think it's the people that don't have the education and their equipment is so bad that they're scared legitimately I mean I would be in a situation like that too it's not fun yeah but if, if you can make driving at least interesting enough where people care about it whether it is with a you know a pseudo interesting beater car where it has decent dynamics and you can get it out of control and it gives you feedback, and or you know driver's training or something like that, I think those would be huge. For I me think more the, than the equipment being bad is a huge part of it, and nobody has a concept of how bad their equipment is. Yeah, because we have this like uh, push for EPA where the, the tires are hard as they possibly can to get the best miles per gallon out oh. of various cars, and it just <laughs> translates into the worst winter tires you could possibly have. Yeah, the 800 Treadwear Ecopia Green Line Bean Burrito tires—they're not—they're not good for winter. No, like you said, it's the antithesis of winter tire design, basically. Yep. I mean, the things that make a winter tire good inherently just increase drag and wear. I mean, it's, yep. and noise, things that aren't good for efficiency, <laughs> historically. Yeah. I don't know. Fine. I've, I've beat that one to death. Let's yeah. move on. Well, Maserati Levante, CUV. I hate CUVs. Yes. Um, they're releasing a new one. You guys want to hazard a guess as to what they changed on the Maserati Levante and this new one? Or at least the main thing. Can you set up higher so you can see around traffic better? No. No. Oh. Although I'm sure it does give you a quote-unquote commanding view of the road. That's right. Ugh. <laughs> really? No guesses, huh? Unless you get beyond. Unless everybody buys one, which they I'll have. give you a hint. Yeah. The name of this submodel is called the Trofeo. Oh. Oh, is it very fast? It makes more horsepower. Oh, it's, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Good. That's, that's just what they need. Um, so, yeah, they took out that... <laughs> right they took out that three liter supercharged v6 and they put in a 3.8 liter twin turbocharged v8 yeah, and they upped it up to um 590 horsepower um yes yeah, so which put, you put it up on stilts and give it 590 horsepower fantastic yeah so um yeah. how is that mandated stability control working <laughs> good thing they have that because i mean 0 to 60 in 3.9 seconds 538 foot pounds uh, I don't even know how much this thing costs, but like a standard Levante is a shitload of money, and that thing has got a V6. Well, for now. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the used I mean, ones, I'm sure, cost like nothing. A... But... You can see it depreciating from here. I know. I can't imagine the, like, the fitment and panel gaps and reliability <laughs> will be very good. <laughs> well, it's exciting knowing that like five years from now, we'll be able to buy it for 30 grand. Yeah, what motor could we put Less that thing that. in? That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all engine electronics now. I mean... I want to put like a modern BMW four-cylinder turbo diesel into Brexit, but I can't because nobody's. I mean, like, there, I'm, I'm assuming there will be a point where there are good, cost-effective standalones that can run DI cars well enough. But like to yeah. this point, really, you have no choice but to either spend like fifteen grand on eight, a eight or nine for like more than six-cylinder. You can get very like primitive four-cylinder DI standalones for like three or four. That's still a ton of money, though. I mean, like, if they could just unlock the factory computer and just let me plug certain wires into it and make it run, that thing's got excellent tuning, great maps. Like, people spent millions of dollars tuning the, the file on that thing. Like, I just want to use that. But I guess, I mean, yeah, if you're putting it into, like, a track car for Bimmer World, you're going to drop five grand on your electromotive, whatever the hell. I don't know who makes the best ones, but 
that's a tangent. But well, <clears throat> well, it's kind of interesting, uh, Brian. Do you, so you say three or four grand. So you cannot control like a direct injection system with like a mega squirt. No. Oh, um, interesting. I mean, I'm sure if somebody essentially you'd have to have a separate igniter box, um, which so what most inherently on the DI injectors is like I assume the drivers are just completely different for how they fire them, or yeah, I mean they're essentially like the original um, like peak and hold like a uh, the the wave that the injector receives is looks very similar to the peak and hold uh, from like the older low impedance yeah. standard injectors. Um, but the uh, control of it and the uh, time frame is significantly short and, and okay. I'm not too sure of the actual circuitry involved with um, why it's elusive to most of the bigger I was going to say, is it just like a shitload more current? Like, it seems a little weird. Yeah, I mean, they're... And the fact uh, that an OEM can do amps. it, it's, it's each injector is 12 amps. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's got to be then. I mean, low impedance, I mean, those well, injectors, they took a shitload of current, but... Yeah, I think it's like 12 amps peak, 4 amps hold for most. But I mean, why not... So what's to stop Sunder from taking a, a Megasquare board and putting a, a subboard on it and putting like five MOSFETs on each channel just to take a shitload of current? Yeah. I and mean, those um, react instantaneously pretty much. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure there's uh, people who have found... If it was easy, I'm sure people would do it, so I'm yeah. sure there's a reason, but that's... Well, and most of the standalones that run DI are actually using a separate sub-box for um, the injector that's drivers themselves. Screw this Maserati. Let's talk about DI standalone. Yeah, so, and the three to 4,000 one, there's only one that I know of that's, like... Who makes that entry one? Level. I think it's called GeForce or G4. Okay. Uh, I think it's a... I don't know if it's a separate company from Link... Um, and does that have, like, uh, like, is the, so the config files and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I assume it can take different types of cam trigger wheels, and like optical yeah. and VR and hall and, okay. Um, so for diesels, I'm, sh I guess I'm not sure if there's any optical stuff used anymore on, like. I think that was mainly on, like, Nissan and Infinity back in the day. I don't think they still do it. Okay. Either way, there's, whether you want to use a cam angle or a crank position. I'm sure there's ways... Uh, well, I assume you're going to need both, because, I mean, a lot of these engines right. are VVT. Right, I'm, I'm just thinking on the four-cylinder diesel What BMW. about things like Valtronic? Uh, where it it's, uses... it's definitely configurable. Okay. Um, but like... I think that's where the standalone guys, like the uh, you know Shane Tecklenburgs, the John Reeds, the, the guys who are developing firmware for uh, Motec, Cyvex... Yeah. Um, Motex is uh, the big one I was thinking of. Yeah, Cyvex is rapidly becoming one of the primary. Okay. Um, I don't want to use the term leader because it, it has a lot to do with uh, the people actually, you know, configuring the firmware and then actually applying it to, you know, to the racetrack. Sure. Um, but yeah, Cyvex and Motec had hold as pretty established uh, dominators of the the average world. Obviously. Um, I'm sure McLaren uh, Technologies, which makes like the ECUs for Formula One, like they probably have some pretty wicked, cool technology that isn't in the Cybex and Motec units. But right. Um, uh, well, I mean, a lot of it's the, not necessarily tech that standalone guys can't figure out. It's just like you have to make one box that can drive yeah, so yeah. many different systems. Yeah. Because I mean, if you have the same same ECU that you can ship out to a, a BMW N55 owner and a Fiat 500 Abarth owner. 
one have managed to control the multi-air system, which is the infinitely variable valve timing and lift system that uses yeah. oil control solenoids that are electrically driven. And yeah. then the other one takes a cam phaser signal, basically, for the eccentric shaft that opens and closes the, the valve lift on the intake side. And it has to control that servo motor accurately and calibrate it. <laughs> I just can't even imagine having to plan for all of that. Right. Um, and basically from most of my experience and knowledge, the boxes that you actually buy are very, very, like there's no, uh, you know, M150 box that you buy from Motec that is for a, uh, uh, M150 is one of their units. Yep. It's yeah. A popular port injection. Okay. Um, top tier standalone system. Um, the, like if you're, I don't know of variants of the M150 box. Um, sure. Same way with Cyvex, like the um, the S6 Plus or like the S6 or S8 version doesn't come custom configurable with different circuitry inside of it. Like they are truly modular and adaptable to each sure. car they're going on. Okay. Um, so the ability to have uh, all of that technology at least available. Yeah. Um, and also be able to be used simultaneously. So if you have to have uh, I mean, I, I get the the appeal of moving those like really, not going to say niche, but you know specific functionalities that a specific engine family would require. Moving that to a breakout box instead of keeping all that dead circuitry on a board, you know, bumping up the cost of that thing yeah. for somebody who's never going to use it. So if like the standard one has all the drivers on it for let's say coil and plug ignition and uh, regular port injection. Yeah. And then if you want to run DI, then you just plug in this separate thing and it shuts off the onboard port injection stuff or at least you know, turns it off in software in case you need it for supplemental or something like that. That's kind of smart. So it makes yeah. way more sense. Um, but I wonder if you could retrofit one of those, just like buy the, the DI driver box and make it work with a Megasquirt. Yeah. I'm sure it's not a technical challenge. I, I think it's just having the right people to architect it. Or architect. architect isn't a yeah. verb. Yeah, I don't know if um, you know you know anything about this to stuff. Design you're getting it? paid for it right yeah. now. It's it's hard to get a, you know it's hard to be give it all away for free basically. Which right, is, which, and which, I, which I get what we that. Want. <laughs> well, I mean, I assume there will be a point in time where yep. Megasquirt can yeah. just straight up drive a shitload of different DI injectors. Definitely, but yeah, I just, probably I'll the be, MS4. Yeah, I mean know. that's true. We haven't had a full revision on uh, Megasquirt hardware it, in a long time. It's a little suspicious at this point. I have a, I have a feeling they're working on something. I mean, it's kind of a, a shame in some cases. Yeah, the MS3 Pro is uh, That's a great hands box. down... Um, That's I mean, a really nice piece. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a proper professional standalone system. Uh, I used to think just from back in the day, the, I mean, yeah, Megasquirt was the, the DIY... Well, I mean, it still kind of can be. I mean, the oh, right. the ECU I've got for uh, the 2002 is a, a homemade MS3. It's not a pro because that's the enclosed one with the yeah. amp seal connectors, but it's a Megasquirt 3. And, like, yeah, like, you can still buy a, a kit and put this thing together and mod it however you want it. But that, that pro thing, I mean, it's just got I mean, it has so all much the, capability. I yeah, mean, all the technology. Got, I mean, I think I could run the 850 on that thing. It's, like, straight up. Yeah. I think With Wasted Spark, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think yeah I don't think it has enough outputs for a coil and plug for a twelve cylinder, but yeah. I think it can do a ten cylinder. <laughs> and wasted spark is pretty good. I mean, yeah. Is that a individual coils? Uh, no, it has two distributors and two coils. Okay, so and two crank sensors because it runs two ECUs. 
cool. Two two engines basically. I mean, yeah. If you, you... Well, it's it's designed like that. That is, they they didn't have a computer that could. They just can't pack that much shit into it in 1990. So that's why they ran two, and then they ran a separate uh, computer that controlled the uh, the electronic throttles. I mean, even new supercars have two ECUs. Uh, I guess technically in the case of, like the McLaren, it's two Bosch you know, ME17. It's variable valve timing, obviously, so it's technically MEV17, but um, two of them, and one of them runs the engine, one runs the transmission, mm-hmm. uh, but the hardware is essentially the same. Uh, I want to say the V12 cars still have to run two engine ECUs. They, they may. I mean, that's a lot of ignition. And, you know, even just yeah. individual injector drivers built into a board, I mean, it's a space issue. Yeah. yeah. Two stepper motor controllers for throttle bodies and that's the thing i mean that's why they had to split this out the automatic cars have four computers in them i mean they got a, a transmission controller they have electronic throttle controller and then they've got two engine computers which are just doing fuel spark so i mean everything else is just kind of pulled in pulled out <laughs> but i remember the guy that was supercharging these with rotrex units back 10 years ago he was just using a chip burner and you know flashing the ecus but he couldn't do anything really with the eml control the electronic throttle which was probably fine but i would have I really seriously considered, I found the guy, I seriously considered buying one of those supercharger setups for it, but it was $8,500. Yeah, I figured, But nah. Now that the car is worth so much more, it's maybe worth it, but I just don't think so. It wouldn't even be that fast with a blower on it. It'd make the noise, though. Yeah, but it's a Rotrex. I mean, they don't make... Oh. They don't make that much noise. They yeah. kind of sound like vacuums more if than... If it's not going to screw in this, there's no point. Uh, with custom intake manifolds, you can maybe put a Roots blower on it. Out the hood? Cool. No. God, that hood is probably so expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I. The modern engine swap, I, I'm looking forward to that. But, I mean, just the age we're in with the, the encryption just going through the roof on the modern cars and taking so much longer to crack everything open. I feel like they're iPhones. I mean, the first few generations of iPhone, they're like, oh, yeah, rolling through. Like, we got these things cracked open, no problem. Do whatever you want with it. But, like, the most recent ones, like, it's not even worth people's time. Because they keep changing all the the settings and the back doors and the encryption, and it's a little different, I guess, with ECUs. But I feel like there's less motivation out there to try to crack into this stuff, and the changes keep happening. The hardware and the software just keeps getting revised. I mean, you can't really build for you know one thing that's going to be out there for six or seven years. Right, and the only thing the aftermarket really has going for it is that um, the families of ECUs are pretty similar to each other so uh many or most of like the modern yeah turbo or uh, i should say most modern uh, i wouldn't even say performance based cars i mean the the volkswagen gtis use a a variant of the me17 uh right yeah i'm sure architecturally they're they've got to be pretty similar right and so it just by virtue of the that family of ecu being out for you know six or seven years yeah it's made it uh, at least a bit easier to uh, explore and define the ECU once you're actually inside. Sure. Um, yeah. I think the, I suspect the primary challenge into the future will continue to just be the OBD2 protocols to actually get a proper uh, uh, read and write to the ECU without... Uh, is that a requirement of the OBD2 protocols to be able to rewrite the ECU? Or is it going to be more of the things we see like fiber optic interface in the future that's separate from the OBD2 port? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would think at some point fiber optic will be mandated to be integrated into the... OBD3? Uh, something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at, at some point it, it has to 
get to that level. Sure. Uh, uh, well, fiber that would be like the transport layer, which they're probably not going to regulate too much. They don't really care how you're communicating to the ECU. Maybe not like a regulatory, but from a OEM diagnostic so perspective. You, yeah. So you, you mean just leaving fiber in there as like an option for a quicker read write for a service tech? I would, mm. if they're going to regulate anything, it's probably going to be over what you can do to it. They don't really care if you're using copper or fiber to talk to okay. the ECU. Okay. Yeah, it just, it's going to be, you know, whatever. But do you think they're going to have, I assume they'll it's, leave a provision in the upcoming OBD standard, potentially whatever that ends up being, if they do ratify it for an optical transmission technique? Or is it just not uh, worth maybe it? Maybe mandated was a, a wrong word, but I think the OEMs would want to, uh, at least for like audio modules and oh, a variety of the other modules that use fiber in the cars, I guess. I love with, optical like, on home theater. I cannot freaking stand it on cars because every manufacturer seemingly uses a different optical protocol. Yep. That is so annoying. I tried to put an aux input in a Porsche Boxster with a factory nav. I ended, up do, I ended up doing an FM modulator. I'm like, you have no options. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And those things, they have three wires going to the back of the unit. They are always constantly powered, and the third one's a bus wire. And it turns on and off the unit with CAN bus. Like just triggered by the Relay 30? I had to go to the... Terminal 30. The kick panel on the, the driver's side of the car, and I had to find the Tiptronic automatic... This car didn't have an auto, but I had to find the Tiptronic automatic power wire because it was the only cable in the fuse panel, uh, panel relay box that was switched with the ignition. Oh, wow. The only wire in the car that was switched, like an old school radio. And wow. that was only for the Navi cars. I mean, the, the regular conventional radio just used a regular Becker unit that had all that stuff, but I couldn't believe it. There's a lot of stuff I really don't like about modern cars. Yeah. <laughs> I like how oh. efficient they are. I like how much power they make. I like how reliable they are for the most part. But, but you don't love the transmission technology. I hate automatics a lot and dual clutches. Yeah. There's no clutches in the manual. Um, but yeah, back to the like read write OB or read write to the ECUs. Um, yeah. So most of them are, uh, I shouldn't say most, but most of the performance oriented ones that are uh, popular to. You're talking uh, OEM performance oriented, right. okay? Uh, so there, the specific it's not called password uh, protected, but there's um. Oh, that that's uh, all it takes to get into the factory ECU. Type in admin password in the uh, login field. <laughs> Capital P password, yeah. Oh, right, guest, um, guest, or like admin one two three four or password password. Oh, hi Tom. But uh, yeah, that's so, got to be one of the air colds. Yeah, it just sounds terrible. How dare he? ruin our podcast that noise that sounds could sound worse yeah it's yeah. just awful terrible miracle i can't believe how quiet those are for being open headers yeah oh. it's just a collector and like a two and a quarter inch tube <laughs> yeah two of them anyway sorry um <laughs> performance oriented oem and i shouldn't even say performance i mean most of the uh like 2015 and newer uh bosch motronic or emmy's x x17 family VCs um, come encrypted. Obviously, they're encrypted, but they uh, require a password or um, credential. It's not like, a obviously, a human read. Is it a password. handshake? Uh, could describe it. I think there's actually two different types kind of, of... I don't um, know that much about tech, but I know you guys do. So There's two different types of uh, uh, credential so you, system. So you're me- plugging into the OBD2 port, and you're... 
eBay cable, whatever the hell, you've got talking, you've at least found the module. I assume it's got some sort of address in it where you can locate the engine computer. Yeah. And then it talks back and it tells it what it is. So it identifies it's, it's or, yeah. after that. So you're trying to log into it with some sort of right. software. Well, so yeah, you're, and you're a bit ways on the road, I guess, um, to back up. So okay. uh, to so put what? them into boot mode, essentially, which should be required to flash it at least. Uh, okay. Usually required to get like a full EEPROM dump from okay. the the actual ECU, at least the... The EEPROM is where not only the tables are stored, but also like stuff like the immobilizer. In some cars, yeah, I think most of them nowadays have like a dedicated module for anti-theft and... Uh, Who is still stealing cars? It's a good question. Anyway, sorry to um, interject. <laughs> but essentially, the requirement for doing anything to these, or many of these ECUs, like after... 2014, 15 or so would be um, removing them physically from the car, sure. opening them up, uh, putting them into boot mode manually. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is like and then you can bring a pin with power or ground or something. Or yeah. I've seen it done before with, you know, those stands where they have like little sharpened pins and they direct them down at a specific point to the board. So yep. what that's doing is, is it's bypassing some sort of circuitry between where you would normally it's interface with the like going into the BIOS on your computer if okay. you've done that. It's a, it's not the operating system, it's a different mode. Okay. And then usually in the in that scenario you are able to either uh read the password and then store it for uh what would be required when you go to flash it. Okay. Uh or load on a known or a fully uh defined and uh manipulated File's not necessarily the right word, but uh, re-image the... Right. Not, re-image is probably not the right word either. Uh, I um, think that's probably pretty close. Because, I mean, you have to put back on, like, something it's expecting to see, but a tweaked version, right? Right, where you remove that functionality or you right. remove the mechanism of... Because uh, I'm guessing when it references this chip, presumably, I'm guessing, right, yeah. EEPROM, it's a yeah, chip. I mean, yeah. it's probably looking, it's going through, it's like process of booting, and it's looking yeah. for certain things on there. I mean, in order to fire up, it's going to need tangible values where it's looking for them and stuff like that. Right. So yeah, the strategy essentially was once you're able to get around the password, then it's uh, by virtue of just knowing the password and maintaining that mechanism or removing that functionality and therefore thereby being able to flash from the OBD2 port. Sure. uh, As you would a uh, fully um, unencrypted or unlocked uh, ECU. Yeah, that's, that's a good term for unlocked, yeah, yeah. Un, unencrypted, I don't know. Like but, if you have an EWS decrypted whatever ECU like is in my Red M3, like what do you call that? Is it an unlocked ECU? Is it an EWS? Is it an immobilizer delete? Like what do you call it? Right. Well, and yeah, the immobilizer is a slightly more uh, specific term based on, or not specific term, but uh, more OEM centric. So sure. If it's uh, you know, an EWS delete, you know, E46 or whatever yeah. vehicle, that would be uh, slightly more complex. Well, I shouldn't even say complex because most of the, uh, you know, the E90 chassis, for example, requires a actual uh, code. I think it's even a rolling code or yeah. rolling credential yep. from the CAS or the new acronym for EWS. Yeah. Um, the so multi-module it needs a module handshake system. Yeah. So it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and getting around that probably be uh, a, just a different challenge, not right. necessarily a 
a huge I, I don't but... even I don't even know what the F thirties use, but I know it's considerably more rigid even than the first gen. I'm sure it's just a new new version of CAS, but yeah. Well, I mean, I know the the, the difference between the E ninety and the F thirty electronics. Yeah, it's 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 nuts. Or any F yeah uh, E series and F series yeah, yeah just completely different. I feel like they're ground up different cars. I mean, they they kind of are. Yeah. Um, so much changed. But uh, inevitably, once you know varieties of these uh, cars are in the wild for a while, there's inevitably right. the ability to uh, read and write without physically removing the ECU, which normally those come from a you know, very small number of companies that operate out of Italy that find these exploits in the encryption and yeah. allow you to essentially do all of this without... Um, I imagine, yeah, like you said, it'll get tougher, but I mean, as things like that. And then once you find that for, you know, one of these F chassis cars, I mean, if you find it for an N20, you're going to be able to flash an N55 pretty easily because I'm sure that that, that process and the encryption has got to be so similar. Between, yeah. In fact, they might even run the same BME for all I know. Yeah, it's they, they can do things between the ECUs now because I mean, basically they're probably going to like PKI. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, like, you know, public-private encryption with the certificate. They can do stuff where they use a different certificate for the different ECUs, but if you have the ability, like, if you have the access to the BMW dealer tools and you're of the right mind to, like, decrypt one ECU, you have the ability to decrypt all of them. Right. They can do a little bit more now with determining who did that and maybe trying to enforce it in a case-by-case basis, but people are still going to do it, so... Right. I figure if somebody can put it in the place in the first place, somebody else can take it out, but it's just definitely getting tougher. Yeah. And, but I mean, it's not something yeah. you can just like brute force like a web key. I imagine. I mean, it's got to be a lot more. Yeah, way, than way that. too big. <laughs> It'd take years and years. Well, I've heard there's actually, uh, so, a bit off topic. Um, but in one of the recent. Oh God, no! <laughs> Are we talking about space shuttles now? <laughs> no. Um, in one of the recent platforms that I've been working on, apparently, uh, one of the you currently have to physically remove the ECU too. Sure. Um, at least the initial uh, read, right. Uh, and then you can do it through the OBD2 port. Uh, but essentially the uh, guy who's developing the, or working on developing the read, right from the OBD2 port without unlocking physically each, each device or each ECU. Yeah. Um, it actually has like a pretty sophisticated AI system to actually uh, fit, find that exploit. Oh, nice. Um, I'm not too... Pre- I mean, that's a bit beyond my uh, comprehension on what's actually being used, whether it's just simply uh, running through a million different options a second or if it's... Right. Um, you know, how exactly it's determining that, I'm not exactly sure, but apparently mm-hmm. it's uh, like a nicely sophisticated system that uh, he's describing as AI to hmm. find those... Well, I mean, I suppose if it can run through a lot of really standard operations that, you know, a person would normally have to do, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that AI system would get much, much, much more efficient if you had a couple of very similar variants of ECUs along makes or models, too. So, yeah, if that progressed and it got better and better, by the time it unlocks, you know, like I said, a Golf R ECU, you could probably unlock a McLaren ECU pretty easy after that. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Golf R ECU is like CMOS. Like Siemens Tricor version, which is kind of strange because the, the actual architecture inside the ECUs looks remarkably similar, um, hmm. very very similar. But the yeah, Golf R's use Siemens or CMOS, and yeah, the regular GTIs use Bosch. That is super weird. Yeah, I really don't understand the 
motivation behind that. But hmm. uh, interesting. Well, trippy. I mean, I again, it's it's such an interesting topic. We could talk, I'm sure, for hours and hours about it, but probably shouldn't in the interest of just making sure I don't absolutely kill people with boringness. Yeah. This is going to become a three-hour episode. No, like, really and that's easily. the thing. We're we're pretty much right at the time I would normally kind of cut off a motor call episode. So, Sorry. in the interest of not talking to everyone about space shuttles and the difference between motors and engines and or what is it and rocket versus throttleable, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the interest of not talking about that thing I just, just said, baiting us at this point. <laughs> I'm honey dicking you guys with the uh, the taste of space, but. <laughs> Anyway, thanks very much for joining me on this oh, weekend where okay. Ryan and Jana are out of town. And, Happy uh, to be here. Yeah. yeah. That's been, it's been much quieter. That's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep, thanks again for joining me. And uh, uh, the next voice you guys hear will probably either be me writing an intro for Ryan's episode or it will be Ryan's voice and an entire episode from Monterey. So we'll see you guys Wednesday. Wednesday.